In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and God Amen. Our Bible is study tonight from Psalm 51. Psalm 51, according to the Septuagint, Psalm 50. It's the same psalm that we pray in the Agbeya, Psalm 50, after Lord's Prayer and Thanksgiving Prayer. This psalm is titled to the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bethshapa. This is a repentant psalm and one of the seven penitent psalms, Psalm 6, 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, and 143. And according to the title, the psalm was composed by David, a psalm of David. To the chief musician, this instruction to the head of the choir, whether it was Asaph or anyone else. And this psalm was composed by David as an expression of his penitence in view of his sin. The phrase, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bethshapa, referred to the story recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 12 from verse 1 to 13. When David committed adultery and murder and he did not realize what he did until Nathan went and rebuked him. You can read this story in 2 Samuel chapter 12 verse 1 to 13. So this psalm was the result of the visit of Nathan to David. Nathan the prophet was sent to David to awaken him to a sense of his sin, which David immediately acknowledged and showed true repentance for it. And it is obvious that David recorded his feeling immediately without delay in the psalm. For the psalm bears all the marks of having been composed under the deepest feeling and not of being the result of calm reflection. When he composed the psalm as we're going to study together, he still feels the guilt. His heart is heavy with guilt. He said, my sin is before me continuously. Some commentators deny David's authorship to the psalm. However, their objections are without any foundation. David's style in this psalm is easily distinguished and the psalm is clearly psalm of David. This psalm has always been held and always will be held in the church as the most significant expression of repentance. And according to our Coptic Orthodox Church and rites, most of the prayers begin 
with the recitation of this psalm, Psalm 50, according to the Septuagint, right after the Lord's Prayer and the Prayer of Thanksgiving. St. Augustine comments on David's humility. A prophet went to rebuke a king. At that time, king can order anyone to be killed without court, without trial. So he didn't actually become defensive or punish Nathan, rather he said, I have sinned against or to the Lord. So St. Augustine says, there was sent to that man Nathan the prophet. There at that time was sent to that man, to David, that man David, Nathan the prophet. God sent Nathan to David. Observe the king's humility. He rejected not the words of Nathan giving admonition. He said not, dare you speak to me, a king? An exalted king heard the, a prophet. So let his humble people hear Christ. End of the quote. This psalm is 19 verse, and we can outline it as follow, verse 1 to 4, prayers for remission of sins, 5 to 14, David's confession and deep lamentation, 15 to 17, offering a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, 18 and 19, acceptable worship. So let's start from verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So the prophet begins with a prayer and appeals at once to the mercy of God even before he mentions his sin. He started by appealing to the mercy of God. It is a cry of a heart crushed and broken by the realization of his sin. The Psalms had been made to see his great guilt and his first act is to cry out for mercy and there is no attempt to excuse his sin he never tried to find excuses for his sins before Nathan the prophet and there is no effort to vindicate his behavior it was guilt that was before his mind, guilt only, deep and dreadful guilt. So the only hope of a sinner when crushed with the awareness of sin is the mercy of God. That is the only hope, the mercy of God. And the plea for that mercy ought to be asked in the most ardent, passionate, emotional language 
that the mind can use like David here. So the ground of David's hope was the compassion of God. That's why he said, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgression. St. Augustine says, he that implores great mercy confesses great misery. If I am asking for great mercy, this implies that I suffer from great misery. David had sinned in murder, in adultery, in covering his sin, and hardness against repentance. He did not repent till God sent Nathan to rebuke him. It took the confrontation of Nathan the prophet to shake him from this. But once shaken, David came in great honesty and brokenness before God. David's first prayer is for mercy. Have mercy upon me, O God. And his prayer for forgiveness is based upon God's character which is full of compassion and abundant in loving kindness and truth. According to the multitude of your tender mercies blot out my transgressions. So not because I am worthy, not because I repented heartedly. No. The only hope for forgiveness actually relies on God's character. He is full of compassion and abundant in loving kindness and truth. So after he pleaded for mercy, the second prayer is to have his offenses blotted out. Blot out my transgressions. Blot out my transgression. Or wiped out. Entirely removed from God's book. Sin is described in verse 1 and 2 in three different aspects. Transgression, iniquity, sin. Blot out my transgression, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. So what is the difference between transgression, iniquity, and sin? The Hebrew word for transgression is rebellion against God. That's transgression. And the Hebrew word for iniquity is immorality or evil of conduct. And the Hebrew word for sin is error, drifting from the right way, missing the mark in life. And sin always is regarded as death. Do you remember when the Lord visited Simon the Pharisee and he told him one creditor has two debtors, one owed him 500 denarii? It was about forgiveness and sin. So sin is regarded as debt record, recorded in God's book. And this debt, forgiveness means this debt needs to be erased from God's book. Tear the handwriting 
of our sins, as we say, in the ninth hour litanies. So David knew that he had not only earned the punishment of everlasting death by his sin, but also sin left a stain on his soul that made it dark. And the expression of blot out refers to both. Refers blot out my sin from your record, God's record, so I will be forgiven. This debt will be forgiven. And also remove the stain of sin on my soul. So when a debt is forgiven, the deeds are said to be cancelled or blotted out. And stains are said to be washed and purified. And here, wash me truly from my iniquity. The washing must be thorough. It must be repeated. Therefore he cries, wash me truly from my iniquity. David then begs God to deal with him with the mercy of a father to forgive sin and to wash away the stain left by it. St. John Chrysostom says, in the holy book, I see that Judas said before the Jewish chief priests and elders, I have sinned. It was also said by King Saul before Samuel the prophet. And it was said as well by King David before Nathan the prophet. Yet only one out of those three heard a clear answer of forgiveness. David. Why? That was because David said it truly from his heart, as obvious from his prayers in the book of Psalms. Verse 3. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. David's sin have all along been known to God. They are, and our sins also, before his eyes, God's eye, as we read in Psalm 90, verse 8, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. But now, David has come to know them himself, he was not aware of his sins. Now they are unceasingly present to his conscience. Such awareness of sin and taking responsibility of sin, ownership of sin, is the first step toward the repentance and confession, which are necessary conditions for forgiveness. He bears it and does not hide it from himself, but keeps it always before him. I acknowledge my transgressions 
and my sin is always before me. This is characteristic of true benefits. The church warning us from remembering the details of sin. As we say in the reconciliation prayer, the remembrance of evil. So when David said, my sin is always before me, he didn't mean the details of sin. Because if he start to remember the details of sin, he might be tempted again. But the fact I am a sinner, the fact I transgressed the commandment of God, and I walked in immorality, and I walked in iniquity. That's what he meant by my sin is continuously before me. Fake or pretend, repentant, confess their sins, but straight away forget them. According to verses 3, real genuine ones find it impossible to forget that they are sinners. We should be able truly to say, my sin is always before me. This will help us to be constantly reminded of our great ungratefulness to so great merciful forgiver Lord. But with realizing that I am a sinner, I need also to realize the abundant mercies of the Lord and the never-ending compassion of the Lord and the abundant loving-kindness of the Lord. Because if I focus only on my sinner, that I am a sinner, I may end up in hopelessness. So this goes hand in hand. In hand. David's confession to Nathan was expressed in very simple words. I have sinned against the Lord. And he mentioned it here in verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned. And done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak. And blameless when you judge. All sins are in their ultimate nature sins against God. Any sin. Because it is disobedience of His holy law. Just as man's duty to his fellow man is based upon his duty to God and is regarded as part of it. So if I lie to my brother this sin is directed to God because God is the one who gave me the commandment not to lie. Though no sins could be more directly against man than adultery and murder, yet David feels that nothing is more grievous than that he has sinned against God. Against you, you only have I sinned. Since against men, any sin against men is considered insignificant 
when they are viewed in their true and real character that they are offenses against the majesty of God and on the importance of confession St. Augustine says if you excuse yourself in confession you shut up sin within your soul and shut up pardon and forgiveness so David here confessed against you you only I have sinned that is a confession St. Augustine also says in failing to confess O Lord I would only hide you from myself not hiding myself from you sometimes when like Adam I can think that I can hide myself from God but in reality when I deny my sin or I fail to confess I am hiding God from me not I am hiding myself from God according to St. Augustine then John Climacus says confession is like a bridle that keeps the soul which reflects on it from committing sin when I confess my sins this actually protects me from repeating the sin over and over but anything left unconfessed we continue to do without fear as if in the dark against you you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge David could not present any argument against divine justice if it proceeded at once to condemn David and punish him for his crime so he's saying yes I confess my sin so if you condemn me and you punish me for my crime I have no word to defend myself you, your judgment are just so he's saying that God is totally justified as Nathan confronted him and condemned him and he is in no position to complain that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge verse 5 behold I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me behold you desire the truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom so there is additional confession is made in verse 5 and 6 verse 5 both by Jewish and Christian by ancient and modern interpreter generally and most justly understood of what we call the original sin behold I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me scholar origin says the church received from the apostles the tradition 
of giving baptism even to infants. For the apostles to whom were committed the secrets of divine mysteries knew that there is in everyone the innate stain of sin which must be washed away through water and the spirit. This in the commentary on Romans 5 verse 9. So David not only has committed the acts of sin, murder and adultery, but sin is truly ingrained into his nature. It doesn't appear as some have thought that the psalmist pleads the sinfulness of his nature as an excuse for his actual sins. He didn't mean, God, I have a sinful nature, so that's why I committed such sins. Rather, he feels compelled to confess not only his actual sins, but the deep infection of his whole nature. As we read in Job 14 verse 4, Who can bring a clean thing out of unclean? No one. And St. Paul also said in Romans seven eighteen, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. Then he said, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. What does this mean? God requires true inward purity of thought and heart, not external purity. True inward purity of thought and heart. Truth in the inward parts, in the most secret springs of thought and will, unseen by men but known to God. God desires perfect sincerity, wholehearted devotion, incapable of deceiving self, as David had done, he was deceived for a long time, unaware of his sins, or deceiving others, as he had endeavored to do by his attempts to cover his sin and its consequences by killing her husband. David was deeply conscious of his own corruption. So he contrasted strongly with the nature of God and with what God must require and be pleased with. So he's saying God wants purity and truth in inward part, but my inward part is corrupted. So he is making this contrast. So David felt that God could not approve of or love such a heart as his, full of corruption, so violent. And he felt that it was necessary that he should have a pure heart in order to meet with the favor 
of a God so holy. The cleansing was to begin in that which was hidden from the eyes of man, in the soul itself, in the inward part. Then the person can receive the wisdom in the inward part. Wisdom, the heavenly wisdom, the saving wisdom, was to have its seed there in the inward part. The cleansing needed was the purification of the soul itself. So when the inward part is purified, then in the hidden part, in the inward part, you will make me to know wisdom. Only God can enable him to understand what is truly wise. St. Augustine says, This uncertainty had God disclosed to his servant David. Uncertainty means the uncertain things of heavenly wisdom. It's uncertain to, me, to us. We don't know what is heavenly wisdom as long as if our heart is corrupt. But when our heart is not corrupted, then everything will be certain and sure. So, this uncertainty that David had before his repentance, God disclosed to his servant David after his repentance, and he made him certain. For when he had said before the prophet, Nathan, standing and convicting him, I have sinned straight away, he heard from the prophet, that is from the Spirit of God, which was in the prophet, your sin is put away from you. So uncertain and hidden things of his wisdom, he manifested to him. He was uncertain, David, about whether he will be forgiven or not. So this uncertainty now be made clear to David upon his repentance. And according to St. Cyril, when he said, Behold, you desire truth in the inward part. So St. Cyril of Alexandria said, The truth is Christ. The truth, beloved by the Father, is the Son. By whose salvation work he gives the purifica purification of the body and the soul. By that, the wisdom of God revealed it to David that purification is realized not through the cleansings of Mosaic law, but through the blood of Christ. And that the Father's pleasure in us is in Christ, the truth. And once the psalmist discovered the work of Christ, the truth, he daringly said, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. So according to St. Cyril, Behold, you, the Father, desire truth, the Son, in inward part, to have the Son reign in me. And in the hidden part, when I have the Son reigning in me, 
You will make me to know the wisdom, the wisdom of salvation, the wisdom of purification. It is only through the blood of Christ I will be purified. It is only through the incarnation, the crucifixion, the burial, the death, the resurrection, I will be purified. Not in the washing and the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament. Verse 7, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Here David is using figurative language that is borrowed from the ceremonial of the law. A bunch of hyssop, some common herb, was used as a sprinkler, especially in the rites of cleansing the leper and purifying the unclean. Washing of the person and clothes regularly formed part of the rites of purification. But here, when he said, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean, the psalmist is, of course, thinking of the inward and spiritual cleansing of which those outward rites were just simple. That's why he said in the previous verse, you have loved the truth in the inward part. So he appeals to God himself to do a work of spiritual and moral, moral cleansing. David knew that God's cleansing was effective his sin was a deep stain, but purity could be restored. David spoke with voice of faith. It can be difficult for a sinner to believe in such complete cleansing that I will be completely purified. But the psalmist has faith that God can and will cleanse and restore him. It takes faith to believe God despite the doubt and difficulty. So, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. David felt the brokenness fitting for the sinner under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So, when the Holy Spirit convicts me as if my bones are broken, it was so severe he felt as if his bones were broken. But confident that this was the work of the Holy Spirit, that's why he said, that bones you have broken may rejoice. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. David could pray that it would lead to joy and gladness, that out of his brokenness, David would rejoice when God cleanse him and purify him. It is a terrible thing to be so directly confronted with the darkness of our sins. Yet, God means even this 
to lead up to joy and gladness. So this confrontation or this conviction by the Holy Spirit, although in the beginning it feels like bones that are broken, but that is the way through repentance and forgiveness from God to hear joy and gladness and the person may rejoice. David longed to hear the sweet voice of forgiveness by which he might have peace and by which his soul might be made to rejoice. So repeatedly David asked for forgiveness and restoration as we read in verse 9. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. He is asking God not to look upon his sins with an eye of anger and wrath, but forgive and forget them. Blot out all my iniquities. It is repeated. He said it before, blot out. To show his deep sense of, of his sins and his great petition for the forgiveness of his sins. And in verse 9 he said, blot out all my iniquities. So he added all to include all his other sins with those he had lately committed the adultery and murder. David was so ashamed to look on his sin and nothing removed from his memory. He said, my sin is continuously before me. But he praises the Lord to do with his sin what he himself couldn't. He couldn't forget his sin, but he is asking God, hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquities. Then David in verse 10 does not desire the restoration of what was there before, but a radical change of heart and spirit. He said, create in me a clean heart. He didn't tell God, restore my heart to the first state. He said, no, this heart cannot work anymore. Like he needs heart transplant. Remove this heart and create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He is asking God to do more than purify him, than purifying his heart. He is asking God to do more than cleanse him by an act of creation and of the creative power to create in David a clean heart. And this, by the way, what happens in baptism. We who are baptized are new creation. In this, David anticipated one of the great promises to all who believe under the new covenant. As they said, happens in baptism. Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And along with a new, a clean heart, David needed 
a steadfast spirit to continue in the way of godliness. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. What does it mean, a steadfast spirit? This expressed a humble reliance upon the Lord. He is asking God for a constant, a steady, determined spirit that cheerfully giving up itself to God, no longer bound by the sinfulness of sin. Give me a steadfast spirit that rely on you and never ever will stray away from your law and your commandment. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.